I'm ready to take the next step. I'm ready for a university that will help me advance in my education and career. A university that will make me feel supported and connected. I'm ready for ODU Online. Click this ad or go to online.odu.edu today. Friends and welcome back to the Sacktown Royalty Show. I'm your host Tony Zaparis, and joining me on the podcast this week is the newest member of the Sacktown Royalty family, Richard Ivanowski. If you visited STR over the last month or so, you've probably seen some of his work up on the site. Richard, how are you? I'm doing good, Tony. Thanks for having me on, man. Uh, no problem. I, I should have had you on sooner. Before we jump into the King's News, though, I do want to give you a little opportunity to sort of introduce yourself to the STR audience, um, your King's background, why you started writing about basketball, which is kind of obvious, uh, and all that other good stuff. Yeah, thanks. Um, so, you know, basically, it, it's not that long of a story. I'm, I'm just a huge basketball nerd. And uh, one thing that I do want to point out is that, you know, I'm not a born and raised Kings fan. So that does separate me from some, uh, you know, most of STR. I, uh, I grew up all over. I just, I've moved around so much throughout my life. I lived in Florida for a while, the Bay area for a while, Los Angeles, San Diego. And I went to high school up near you in new England. So I've never really had, uh, you know, a team or a hometown. I've just loved the sport so much. And then, I moved to Sacramento about six years ago, and um, so, you know, naturally I'm watching all the Kings games, and especially with how cheap tickets were to the old arena, I just ended up at so many of them and kind of just fell in love with the team, and, um, you know, I'm much more interested in, in underdogs and teams that are that are trying to, to rebuild, and it's just more interesting to me, so that kind of combination of things has really got me interested in them, and you know, I'm happy to say now that I'm a Kings fan, but I, I just want to be upfront that I haven't been through the ups and downs of Kings fandom like a lot of uh, a lot of you guys have and a lot of the listeners have. Yeah, well, actually, I I am with you there, and not being born and raised as a Kings fan, uh, like you mentioned, I am from New England. I grew up in Bo- around Boston. I've been in Massachusetts my entire life, but the Kings hooked me when they were good in the early 2000s when I was kind of growing up as a basketball fan. And um, kind of just stuck with them. And even though we've had uh, some down, a down decade, at least um, I wouldn't, you know, wouldn't change teams for the world. This is um, it's been a, it's been awesome since I started at SCR covering the team. And even before that, just following King's News for whatever reason, I, I kind of got hooked on it. And this, there's no stopping now, I guess. Yeah, it's uh, it's exciting. That's for sure. Well, we're happy to have you on board. Um, some of us noticed your work early on in the fan posts and would mention to each other, like, hey, this Richard guy is really good. We should ask him if he wants to write for us. Uh, and eventually that happened. So, again, couldn't be happier that you're here. And I'm looking forward to your coverage this season. I'll just jump in, too, real quick to say that, you know, this podcast specifically is how I ended up writing, you know, in fan posts, trying to get onto the, the SCR staff because. Uh, my friend John turned me onto this podcast and told me to go visit the site. And you know, SB Nation is really unique in that way that you can you can write an article and put it up there, and then you know your peers can review it and recommend it. And uh, it's just a really amazing thing. But it was it was when your yours and Bryant's uh, I think it was the uh, sort of draft preview pod. I think it must have been back in April. And uh, that was the one that I heard, and I had I had just uh, I had heard a few episodes, and I just had written my very first fan post, and Brian gave it a little shout out, and so hearing that on this podcast, I was like, all right, screw it, I'm all in, I'm just gonna write a piece a week, and hopefully you get recognized by you guys. Greg and, and Aki kind of do that sort of hiring stuff or, or bringing people on, um, but that's always the advice that that they usually give is like start writing in fan posts if you're interested in joining the site or whatever. And not that we're some like so great at determining who is or isn't good at covering the Kings, but 
if people start commenting and interacting with the stuff that you're writing, like clearly it's a, it's valuable information and content and it'll get noticed by those guys. And you know, who knows, but there is a lot of, a lot of Kings news to talk about since we last recorded. And I suppose the best way to talk about the moves the Kings made in free agency is to kind of go in order that they happen because the order by itself is kind of important. So on July 17th, the Kings traded Garrett Temple to the Memphis Grizzlies for Ben McLemore, Deontay Davis, a 2021 second round pick, and cash considerations. If the Kawhi Leonard trade was a Woj bomb, this was more of like a Woj snap bomb or whatever you call those little white things that you throw on the ground that make a snapping <laughs> sound. But Richard, what did you make of the Kings' first move this summer? I didn't really like it. Uh, we were we were kind of on the opposite sides on this one. Um, in the Slack chat, I know I was a little disappointed that they only created $1 million in, in cap space. And I was pretty horrified to see Ben McLemore heading back to Sacramento because I, you know, he is on a, on a big contract for him and I I don't love what he does on the court and and not many people do, but you know, as you rightly pointed out, there's, you know, very little to no downside to it. So I guess that's where we split on it. So this is kind of a, maybe a warped way of looking at it, but when Garrett Temple had his player option for $8 million, I think I was in the majority of Kings fans and hoping that he didn't opt into his contract because I wanted the Kings to have $8 million more of flexibility. But yes. he opted in. Fair play to him. That's his right. And he should opt in. I don't think he would get $8 million on the open market right now anyway. So he opts into the $8 million contract. Now the Kings have a player who's pretty good, who doesn't necessarily have a role on the team. And right. they send him to Memphis, a team where he, he would have a role, uh, a team where he can compete for a playoff spot. Um, a team that fits him better. So from the Kings perspective, it's kind of like they're doing a good player who is a, uh, you know, a good King, great in the organization, a solid, and they're getting a very minor asset in the 2021 second round pick, which, you know, the NBA hasn't announced it quite yet. It might be 2021 or 2022 where that double draft is happening, where the one and done rule will go away. So it'll get two high school classes in the same draft that could happen in 2021. So you know, second round picks are not that valuable. The Kings have a million of them. But if you were to, I don't know, give a value to a second round pick, that's a fairly valuable second round pick. The Grizzlies will probably be on the decline at that point. If they're not on the decline already with Marcus and Mike Conley getting up there in age. So from my perspective, it was just like, all right, I don't want Ben McLemore on the team either, but you're shedding about $1 million in cap space this summer. You're getting a 21, 2021 second round pick where maybe it's nothing, but in theory it could be something. And you're losing a player in Garrett Temple who I liked having around. He was a good king, but I really just didn't see a role for him on the team this year. So if you if you didn't like the trade, that's total. That's a fair take because I'm like right on the fence with it too. I didn't think it was a great move by Vlade, but I didn't think it was the worst way to get some value out of a player that probably shouldn't get a ton of minutes this season anyway. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. Um, you know, I will say, like, I think since that trade has happened, it did come out that uh, based on some stuff that Adam Silver said, uh, it doesn't look like 2021 will be the year. It looks like it will be at least 2022. Okay. That the high, that's, that you know, that's not confirmed. And I don't think they want to come out and really talk about it in clear terms yet. Yeah. But uh, it seems like they may have kicked the can down the road a year or two. Um, but you're right. Uh, you know, it's not, there's nothing bad came out of this. Um, I do really like Garrett Temple. And I think a lot of the reason that I was disappointed was colored by the fact that they hadn't done anything yet. Mm-hmm. And that being their first, their like opening salvo was just so anticlimactic. It's pretty funny. Yeah. It just kind of, it, it bummed me out, but I was waiting for it to be, you know, the first, like a domino piece, you know, for another move. And that didn't really happen. So, you know, I'm fine with it. The one other thing we should mention about the trade is that when it was announced that Ben McLaurin and Deontay Davis were coming back, there was kind of the assumption that one or both players would be waived, like if not immediately before the season starts. And it still sounds like Deontay Davis is probably heading in that direction. Um, But Ben McLemore, if you read through some stuff on social media or whatever, like he was on Instagram looking for a place to rent in Sacramento, which is not a move you make if you're uh, if you've been told you're going to get waived or or bought out or whatever. Um, So I am actually probably a little bit less high on the trade now, 
knowing that Ben McLemore may may actually stay in Sacramento this season than I was when it happened, and I was just kind of assuming, well, McLemore and Deontay Davis won't even be here, so it's really just the 2021 second round pick, because uh, if we have to watch more Ben McLemore, I don't know. I don't know how that's going to go. That's the downside. Like, that's what we talked about. We can't really see a downside. There it is. If there was minutes that Temple was going to play, even if it's like eight minutes a game, those go to Macklemore, there's your downside. Yeah. I just don't see a scenario where he's playing a ton of minutes, but uh, even if there's an injury or something, like it sounds bad to say that I would rather watch anybody than Ben Macklemore again, but he he's one of the most frustrating kings. Like a two-guard who cannot dribble at all or, ha- or has any ball skills whatsoever. Ben Macklemore, good guy, hard worker. Uh, don't, don't necessarily want to watch him play basketball in Sacramento anymore. 100%. The next move the Kings made in free agency, uh, they signed former Minnesota Timberwolves forward Nemanja Bielitsa to a three-year, $20.5 million contract, with the last year of that contract being unguaranteed. So it's basically a two-year, $13.5-ish million contract. I know going into free agency, both of us wanted the Kings to target Bielitsa, and it took mm-hmm. them a while, but they finally did. So what can the Kings expect from uh, Professor Big Shots this season? God, that nickname is so good. It's pretty good. Uh, I, I love it. I love it. And I think like we also had heard at some point that it may be just two years with the second year unguaranteed, and then we found out that wasn't the case. But I would have really loved that. Um, and, you know, for the time being, though, he really does feel a need. We, we have a lot of bigs, and none of them can really shoot. Um, and Bielitsa is, is not bad. He's a 40% plus, hopefully, three-point shooter Next year, he, he shot over 40% last year. Um, and he's, you know, he's smart. He's played basketball for a long time, not in the league, not in the NBA necessarily. But, you know, he's a he's a very experienced player. And he comes from a background of, you know, understanding the game. And he, he earned his way into the NBA. And, you know, he's here to stay uh, for at least two years. I think that we've got a great role player. And what I like about him is that I think with his age and his contract, he can kind of really be scaled however the Kings need him. You know, they can they can play him a very small role if they're trying to develop, you know, put a lot of minutes on uh, Harry and Bagley right away. Or if, you know, if they're trying to bring them along slowly, I think they can scale him up pretty high. You know, I wouldn't necessarily start him, but he can get up to that 20 minutes a game and still be, you know, very useful. Yeah, from everyone I talked to, uh, either in Minnesota or over in Europe who saw Bielitsa play before he got to the Timberwolves, there seems to be like a pretty universal opinion that the Timberwolves didn't necessarily get everything out of Bielitsa. And that was also reported as one of the reasons why he may go back to Europe. The other reason was like being closer to family and stuff and like not having to move his family around every year if he was signing these one year deals. But so there is some upside there with Bielitsa too. Like he may have more skills than, than Tibbs uh, allowed him to show in Minnesota. I wouldn't expect like a, incredibly different player but if he has more skill than he showed that's obviously a, a win for the kings i also like that even if he's not necessarily like the long-term answer at your stretch four spot and every good team kind of has a big who can shoot now he gives the kings an opportunity to sort of play with lineups before they get their long-term stretch four we won't have to ask the question can like is willie collie sign a better player if his front court partner can shoot the ball. Because now we can actually see it next season. We can see what De'Aaron Fox looks like with that kind of spacing instead of the, you know, it, before Bielitsa, most of the Kings front court were pretty much inside players and not not a whole lot else. Like we saw Marvin Bagley in Summer League and we saw Harry Giles in Summer League and neither one really showed a confident three-point shot. Um, Zach Randolph did sort of last year, but I don't necessarily want to see Zach Randolph playing too many minutes next year either. Willie Cauley-Stein doesn't have that shot. So Bielitsa gives the Kings just, if you're looking for development this season and like getting more intel on the players you have, Bielitsa to me represents an an entirely different look for the Kings that just gives Vlade in the front office more intel moving forward so they know what these players will look like depending on what kind of lineups you put around them. And and he can play small forward. Will he start at small forward? I don't know. I mean, I don't think so. Do you think it actually that actually start him at the three this year? Uh, I don't think so. I think there's a possibility they, like you said, kind of experiment with those types of things. But no, I, don't, I mean, I don't. I certainly don't see him as like the answer at starting small forward. 
Uh, but that's a really, uh, those are really, really good points. I didn't think about it as far as like him being kind of a, a test subject or like a template for a future player they'd bring in with those types of skills. But um, yeah, I mean, hopefully like, you know, hopefully Bagley can shoot a little bit and, and hopefully Harry can shoot a little bit. So yeah, that's a really, really interesting point. I'm looking forward to, to Bielitsa. Like I said, both of us kind of looked at him as a guy we wanted the Kings to sign. And part of it is because... Uh, because of his shooting ability. But another thing is, and this is something Dave Yeager railed on a lot last season, was the Kings need to get tougher. We're, we're a little bit soft. And uh, th- my favorite Bielitsa highlight has nothing to do with basketball. And I'm sure you know it, but if anyone missed it, um, I forget which team Aaron Aflalo played on last year. But whatever team that was, like Aflalo and Bielitsa were going at each other. And Aflalo threw a haymaker at Bielitsa. And Bielitsa kind of ducked it, but it did graze him. And then Bielitsa just kind of like headlocked him until yeah. Aflalo calmed down. And the best part about that story is after the game, they were talking to Bielitsa in the press conference. And he was like, you know, I'm just thankful that that was my reaction, that I headlocked him because I grew up on the streets. And if my mind had flipped somewhere else, who knows what would happen now? Like, who knows what condition Aaron Aflalo would be in? Now, that, that's, a, that's an awesome answer. Yeah, I think he even said, like, I did that so that he wouldn't be hurt. Like, I, I was right. pretty <laughs> yeah. to protect him. How awesome from- is that? Yeah, amazing. Toughness and shooting from a, a stretch four, like, you can't really ask for a, a better fit in terms of what the Kings kind of needed. Agreed. Lastly, it's been reported that the Kings have agreed to a two-year, $6.2 million contract with former Dallas Mavericks point guard Yogi Ferrell. And it's important to note here that the Kings haven't made this signing official because they can fit him into a room exception if they need his $3.1 million per year in cap space for another move, like a Rodney Hood offer sheet or cap dump or something. But regardless of how this plays out with his contract, Yogi will be a King next season. So what did you think of the uh, the Yogi Ferrell signing? This is amazing. This is a really, really amazing move. I'm like, I'm all in on it. It's, you know, this really is no downside. The contract is so small that it, it can't have any negative effect on us. He could even p- potentially next year be used in a trade package if we, you know, if he doesn't fit our plans. Um, you know, the the deferring the signing um, into our MLE if we need to, that's such a smart thing, you know, giving us the full $14 million to work with in the time being. Um, and he's just, he's a good young player. Like he, you know, obviously Bielitsa, we talked about his positives, but he is in, on the wrong side of 30 Farrell is 25, I believe, you know, that's, that's perfect. I don't see, you know, as far as fit goes, I don't see anything wrong with this. As far as the contract goes, I don't see anything wrong with it. I mean, that's, this is, you know, it's a very, it's still a minor thing, but if if this is a standalone move has got to be an A, you know, A plus for me. Yeah. I I loved the Yogi Farrell signing. I know when it came out, I think it was Shams who reported it and there was some debate if it was 6.2 million total or six point two million per year, and the kind of the conversation, at least for some of us, um, was that it didn't even really matter. Either way, it was a pretty good deal. But getting him at three point one million per year, that's a pretty great contract for the Kings, and I think he's going to become a fan favorite real quick. Greg Wissinger tweeted this out, and I agree with him one hundred percent that you can kind of gauge what a player's like based on fan reaction of losing that player, mm-hmm. and universally, Dallas Mavericks fans were upset about using losing Yogi. So. Yeah, and the I mean, he really does fill a need. We, I think that you know our group, the STR in general, might be a little more aware of this than the average fan. But we really all felt like we needed another point guard option. Um, and it's nice because he's a kind of a combo and, and can play in different spots on the floor and, and can you know can spot up and can uh, distribute. But I was getting pretty nervous about Frank being our only backup point and um you know i think i think it's not even about frank so much as i think that any team needs you know three options at point guard because of just you know depth if you if you have someone get hurt one of the quickest ways for a team to unravel is to not have uh, a solid to average point guard if you know if knock on wood fox were to get hurt this team is would have been in big 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 trouble without yogi I'm glad you mentioned that he can kind of play off the ball too because it is important to note that in his first year in Dallas, he played backup point guard. In his second year in Dallas, he played a majority of his minutes 
with J.J. Barea as kind of the backup too. Yogi's a very small guard. I think he's like 5'11", so that's not where you want to play him ideally. But we had mm-hmm. mentioned before how, you know, we're one injury away from potentially seeing Ben McLemore fill in at some backup too. But Yogi gives you that flexibility too where he can provide that near 40% three-point shooting and uh, scoring um, from an off-ball position too. Again, not ideal, but that flexibility for $3.1 million. And you got him for two years too. Like, I don't know. That couldn't have worked out better for the Kings. I'm not sure how they pulled that one off because for $3.1 million, you'd think Yogi would have offers other places, maybe bigger roles or, or more guaranteed roles or play a playoff team or something. Um, yeah. So for Vlade to lock him down for two years at that price is uh, is excellent. Maybe I'm overvaluing Yogi, but I would put him in the top, I don't know, 15 or 20 backup point guards in the NBA. I don't, I don't know if there's 20 backup point guards better than Yogi, and then you add in the flexibility that he can play both guard spots, and then you add in the fact that you're only paying $3 million a year for him. Um, that was kind of a, you know, as much as a $3 million contract can be like a home run signing, to me that was kind of a home run signing by Vlade. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I wouldn't even put it in the 20 range. I think that he's a, you know, he's an, a, he's an above average backup point guard. Um, so, you know, maybe 40th, 45th best point guard in the league. And, um, you know, I think the, as far as the positional stuff, he kind of got listed as the two guard in Dallas, but Carlisle has ran a sort of a, a two point guard system or just a two ball handler system for a long time. So I do think he would struggle to play the two, you know, at any volume of minutes, but like you said, he can fill in as like sort of that emergency, um, you know, injury situation, injury scenario, too, if need be. He's also one of those guys that gets that, like, intangible card. Like, oh, he's he's so fiery. He's such a competitor. He just wants to win. He'll do, like, he goes all out every single play. Which, again, just addressing what Jaeger would tell you were the Kings' weaknesses last year, that sort of edge and competitiveness and, like, just that, I don't know, whatever that drive is that guys like Yogi Ferrell has— that was a need, and with Bielitsa and and Yogi, uh, Vlade got two guys that, at least from that toughness standpoint, fits what Dave Yeager was looking for. Yeah, they're really complimentary signings, and they they fit well. And like you can tell that, or at least I'm hoping what it tells me is that there's a player type that that Vlade had in mind, and he found those guys. And also, what's interesting is both of these guys had backed out of previous deals, so. There's a lot of similarities there between both of them, and you know we're lucky to have both or either. And it's it's kind of there was a point in the off season, a few weeks in, where everyone seemed to be off the table, including these guys. Where I felt that we had like waited one minute too long, and then I started to panic, and then we kind of were somehow able to turn back time a little bit and grab them both. And yeah, I I couldn't be happier about it. And if you're looking at this from like a, a big picture approach, you've got uh, Bielitsa and Farrell, like a three-four stretch tough guy that you didn't have, and you got this comp like backup point guard slash maybe combo guard, both guys that are still in the primes of their career. You've got them locked up for two years, and you're paying them ten million per year total. So you got like two pretty good rotation pieces for a small small part of your cap space. And those are guys that aren't on rookie contracts. So it's it's pretty good when you can get players of, of that caliber at that low of a per year amount uh, for multiple years. And that's why in sort of a, I don't know, like a pessimi- pessimistic view of things, this is why a lot of us wanted Vlade to do more in free agency this summer is because contracts like this were out there because there was a decent amount of free agents, not a lot of teams with cap space. And we've seen good deals happen all summer long, like Julius Randle, two years, $18 million. Like, some really, really good deals that would not be the case next summer. And Vlade didn't take advantage of a lot of those. And that's why I think, well, I'll speak for myself, but a lot of us are sort of down on what the Kings have done this summer. Um, and these two moves were good, but they could have done more of this with maybe even higher caliber players and locked in even, you know, even more important rotation pieces for under market value. And we start with Bielitsa and Yogi. I would have liked to see it with more players, but at least they got something. Yeah, I think it seems like they kind of tried to do that with Hizonia. Mm-hmm. 
then as soon as he didn't agree, they panicked and put out this massive offer to Levine. And then, you know, I mean, if that if those are my options, having Levine at 20 a year or Bielitsa and Farrell at, at, you know, less than 10 combined, I mean, I, I think the choice is obvious there. I'll, I'll take plan B for sure. Yeah, Levine had the potential, so you're – you. but as far as like a – for a team like the Kings, they can't really afford to miss on someone like Levine. Like that kind of sinks you if he's not who you want him to be. So this mm-hmm. kind of does give them a little bit more flexibility moving forward. They don't have everything riding on this one player. But now that we've got the real moves out of the way, uh, what do you think the Kings have planned for the remaining 10 to $14 million in cap room, depending on when the Yogi Ferrell signing is announced? Um, it's hard to tell. You know, there are a few guys, and, you know, I mean a few, like, one or two that that could still help the team. I mean, uh, I mean, I guess the obvious guys are hood and Nawaba. Um, And I, it really depends on where you're coming from. If you think they would really help. I'm not sure either would really help at this point. I like Nawaba a lot, but he's, he's like this two, three kind of this, this two slash three guy who, you know, he has his seven foot wingspan, but, uh, to to really start at small forward or to play big minutes at small forward, you need to be able to guard fours. And I don't think a, a six four, you know, fairly light guy can can be switched into that. So I'm not sure he really is a solution at small forward. And Hood is bigger, and I think he's like six eight, but he definitely can't guard fours. He really can't guard threes based on what I've seen. So uh, I'm not sure that I really want either of those guys. Um, you know, what I personally want, I'm sure you're well aware of this, but I want uh, a first round pick desperately. And I think that they can still get it done with the, the 10 to 14 million, depending on when they sign there. The Kings are in an interesting spot right now because they have 10 million left in cap room and they can go into the season with that cap room. I'd be okay with that. It would still, you know, be the result of a disappointing off season, but they could go into the season with that 10 million of cap space still available. And there really aren't any free agents that fit in that $10 million window. Now they could break that up between multiple free agents. The only problem there is that the Kings are already out of roster space. They can carry 20 players throughout the summer, but once the season starts, they need to cut that down to 15 and they're already over 15 guaranteed contracts. So they already have to cut somebody. So there just isn't, the kind of roster space or rotation space available to go out there and sign a bunch of these lower level guys in a way to break up that 10 million. So speculating is almost impossible, but we've started doing it anyway. There are certain teams that need to get under the luxury tax and there's guys like Andrew Wiggins who may or may not have a long-term home where they, where they currently are. Uh, So I would love to see them like Andrew Wiggins is sort of, if you could tell me, Hey, What's the one realistic thing the Kings could do this summer uh, based on what else is left out there? Pursuing Andrew Wiggins is definitely my favorite thing, even though Wiggins is wildly overpaid. And I think you have a different (laughs) opinion on this. And and it's all going to come down to the price, of course, because if the Kings have to give up, like either Fox, Buddy, or Bogey, then I'm I'm hanging up the phone. But if there's any way they can get him out of Minnesota um, this summer without giving giving up a major piece, that's something I would pursue. Yeah, I wouldn't. I, 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 I know we're totally on the opposite sides of that, which I hope like, well, that's kind of a good thing. So we can definitely, yeah, you know, we can see both sides of it here, but, um, and it really is up into, uh, up to interpretation, but like you just had mentioned with Levine, um, and how we can't really afford to miss on guys like, you know, that was, uh, I, I don't remember, I think it was 85, 80 or 85 that we had offered Levine over four years. And Wiggins is essentially twice that, or it's very close in guaranteed money to being twice that. I think it's five, one fifty, um, and that is so massive. I mean, I just can't, I can't. I mean, I can't even like really think about how big of an investment that would be because you can't at that point. You can't if he doesn't turn into anything. You can't stretch him. You can't trade him. Um, it just it terrifies me to my very core, and I think that. The other thing is I don't know if Wiggins is really a three either. I know he is, you know, on the roster sheet, he'll be, they'll put him as a small forward, but he can't switch on to a power forward. He's kind of, you know, Butler sort of guards the three. 
and Wiggins just they hide him, you know, they hide him on defense and he kind of is I think he's better suited as a, a larger two guard. I just I don't think that he's the solution. Um, I'd much rather just find a way to get, you know, a mid to late first round pick and then keep all of our you know, keep our flexibility for the future. Yeah, I think the Wiggins thing is probably not happening uh anyways. That just I don't know. That seems like too big of a move for the Kings to make right now. So I, I mean, I certainly wouldn't expect that to happen. I think the most realistic thing the Kings do with the rest of their cap space, because it was already reported that they had interest in this player, is signing Rodney Hood to an offer sheet. And let's just pretend they do give Rodney Hood the remaining cap space that they can fit. So they give Rodney Hood, I don't know, four years, fourteen million per. Is that something yep. that you would want? Um, I'd be, I'd be fine with it. That's kind of like the middle ground there where I'd prefer, uh, a future asset. And I would really not want Wiggins like Hood sort of splits the difference for me there. Um, I do have questions about him, but you know, at least you can, you can put him at small forward and just say he's your small forward and people aren't really going to argue about it. I don't know that he would bring any like wins. I don't know that he would bring like winning basketball to the team. Although he could play those minutes and give us the appearance of having a small forward and might be better, well, probably is better, you know, than Justin Jackson. But, you know, going back, like way back to the, the first piece that I wrote that was uh, shouted out by you and Bryant, you know, I just want, I want them to just say to Bogdanovich, Bogdanovich, you're, you know, you're our small, small forward, you're going to play the three, you know, that's it. You know, and we got our best five players on the court and that, that'd be great. So would you be comfortable then if the Kings go into the season now not doing anything else and they just go into the season with that 10 million in cap space and kind of see what happens from there? Um, I think I'd be as comfortable with it as them signing Hood. Okay. I, I think that's kind of like a lateral move, like signing Hood. And, and uh, you know, this is like the real off season now. Like we're, you know, kind of past free agency, you know, 90, 95% to where anything that happens between now and the start of the season there's no real urgency to do it. So you can kind of hopefully what I'm, you know, what I'm hoping is that we're kind of in negotiations on various different things and we find the right one between now and and the start of the season. Um, But yeah, I, you know, I just want to throw this out there as the move. I think that would be my personal choice and I think would actually work for, for everybody and just get your reaction on it. Um, it would be to move one of these these guys like your scouts or really your Deonta Davis that we that we brought in. If we could just move him over to Washington for Mahinmi, we that's like I've done all this math on it and it just it fits perfectly where Washington comes in under the tax line, we come in under the salary cap and we get a first round pick, maybe some 2022, 2023 seconds, hopefully shoot for that double draft. That, that, for me, is what I'd like. What, what would you think about that? He's uh, one year, next year, and then a year after that. So two years yeah. left. So um, this year and one more. Yeah. 15, 15 I, per. I would probably do that after I've exhausted all my other options. I think you actually you put it really well when you said, like, there are negotiations for what I assume is a lot of different moves because they are the mm-hmm. only team left with this much cap space. We do have a while to go before the season starts. A lot of teams are kind of set with their roster, but... There is a luxury tax thing to worry about for a lot of teams too. So there's still there's still a lot of options. So for me to say yes to that trade, I'd have to, you know, have more information than we have to know that they didn't pass up something better. Because I think there is, you know, there could be something better than that out there. That's an okay move. But to me, it's kind of like, it's almost like a wash. Like, I guess I would do it if there's nothing better. But until I know what they didn't do, it's hard for me to say how much I would like it. And I also agree with you when you said keeping that $10 million open or signing Rodney Hood is kind of the same to you. You could argue that if Rodney Hood never gets traded from Utah and he goes into this summer having the Utah numbers all year, which is like a 16 to 18 point per game score with 40% three-point shooting with pretty good size as a two, not great size if he's forced to play three, which he had to do in Cleveland. Then you're looking at a player who is probably getting more than the 10 to 14 million the Kings have to offer him. So as much as I don't like Hood, based on what we saw in Cleveland, I do think there's a chance that even if I don't necessarily like the player, taking my bias out of it, like so much of my evaluation of what the Kings do this summer is value. 
And getting Hood for $14 million might seem like an overpay based on his Cleveland numbers, but based on his Utah numbers, just from a pure value standpoint, you may not be able to get a player that productive at $14 million at any other next summer. I doubt you will. But if Rodney Hood is Cleveland Rodney Hood, and that's more like what you should expect, then you obviously don't want to pay him $14 million. So if the Kings do go out and sign Rodney into an offer sheet, which I do think is, that's certainly in play still. Because there is a reason why they haven't signed Yogi yet, and they've already showed interest in Rodney Hood this summer. So that's de- very much in play. Right. I would probably talk myself into it under the uh, under the hope that he kind of returns to Utah, Rodney, and and then at that point, even though, like I said, even though I don't necessarily like Rodney Hood as a player, that production for that number does equal uh, like a decent deal for the Kings if he can actually put up those numbers. Yeah, I, I can I, I can get there with you for sure. I although I, I'm less optimistic about him even really being available. I I think that with LeBron leaving Cleveland and the East being so weak, I think that Dan Gilbert wants to make the playoffs even as the eighth seed, and they need buckets. Like they need buckets really badly, and so, you know Sexton needs someone to just sort of find in the corner. And if he can be their guy, I think they're happy to match anything up to like a reasonable point. And so my fear would be that we would have to go beyond something fair, something, you know, team friendly to get him. So, you know, I think that if we were to try to get him at a, at a, a bargain, we'll lose out. And if we try to overextend ourselves, you know, it'll be just that. And it'll be viewed as a mistake down the, down the road. You're probably right. Unless Cleveland just decides they don't want him for whatever reason, or they, the Kings like negotiate a sign and trade, which, I'm not necessarily there for, but the Kings do have a logjam at multiple positions, and Cleveland is, while they might be a playoff team, they're also kind of a rebuilding team, so if they want to take a flyer on some of the Kings' young assets, I think a sign-and-trade could maybe happen if you're looking at getting rid of Scal or Willie Cauley-Stein or something. Um, not necessarily moves that I would make, but uh, if Jaeger has a track record of liking Roddy Hood, we know the Kings are interested, so nothing would surprise me there if they do end up working out a deal. We recorded the last Sacktown Royalty show right as the Vegas Summer League was starting, so we never got a chance to really talk about how the Kings played there. Uh, I know it's kind of old news at this point because we've had so much free agency craziness happening, but did you have any big takeaways from watching the Vegas Kings? Um, you know, not massive. I, I don't think that I saw, you know, there wasn't anyone who completely spiraled out and failed. I guess the the closest concern, you know, the concern is about Frank and then we got Yogi and I'm less worried about it. And then the, you know, the biggest hope is for, uh, Harry Giles. And, and uh, I mean, we were already there kind of with the hope. So we, we already had that upside in mind for him. So I don't have anything massive to take away from it. I guess my, my biggest takeaway would be that, uh, I think Justin Jackson has earned himself a lot of minutes um and it'd be easier like if we had our own pick in 2019 i'd be like send out justin start him you know play him 30 minutes a night and like you know at least we'll either tank and like end up you know getting a great pick and know he's not any good and move on or you know uh, you know maybe he will be something and then we'll find out by the end of the year but uh it would be easier if we had our own pick to do that but at this point with this roster if we don't sign hood or nawaba I'm, you know, I'm okay with starting him, really. Yeah, I would agree with you. My takeaway was the Frank Mason thing. Like, hey, maybe this guy can't play 20 minutes of backup guard for you this year. Um, But the Yogi Ferrell signing kind of alleviates those concerns because if Frank Mason's not good, he just won't play, and the Kings can easily cover that. The California Classic was awesome, and I'm, I'm glad it happened. It was clearly a success in Sacramento. But that did sort of cause my interest in the Vegas Summer League to die down a little bit because we saw everything we kind of needed to see in the California Classic. Bagley got hurt, so we didn't play much in Vegas. Giles was sort of the same guy in Vegas as he was in the California Classic. Um, Justin Jackson was sort of the same guy in Vegas as he was in the California Classic, and Frank struggled in both settings. So big takeaways from Vegas Summer League, I really don't have too many either. I will say that the Kings do have two two-way contracts to offer this summer. Uh, they don't have to. They could, you know, they could not sign anybody. But right. I did think uh, Wenyan Gabriel and Zach August both kind of earned at least a look for those those two two-ways. Zach August is a little bit older. He played in Europe professionally for a few years. And he's kind of your, I don't know, is anything special about him as a 
power forward, but he played really well in Vegas. And Wenyon Gabriel went undrafted out of Kentucky. Uh, 6'9", small forward. Needs to put on a little bit of weight probably, but he has a good three and deep potential. And I know Bryant, um, our our draft expert, really likes Wenyon Gabriel, so I'll kind of defer to him in, in the love. But he seems like a great little little project player to bring in on kind of a nothing two-way kind of if, if he works out great if he doesn't the commitment there is really low yeah absolutely there's no downside uh, those are definitely the two guys that i would offer you know training camp invites to or or two ways um you know just to call it back to the beginning of the pod i think nigel hayes also was spotted on instagram buying a house so all right hopefully that's not bad news for him <laughs> yeah uh, yeah but i guess um you know, just thinking about the summer league, you were and you were definitely on point with the California Classic being this great, amazing, like really exciting thing, and the broadcasts were great. And then I turned on the summer league, and I was like, it's like Doc Rivers in like picture in picture, and I was oh, like, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so hard to watch the summer league, like the Vegas league games, after seeing the California Classic, and they're all in the in the little like high school gym looking things, and it's tough, but. I guess my takeaway from Summer League, if I had to pull something out of it, is that we have a bunch of young players who have obvious constraints and have really clear weaknesses. And I think that what's what I'm going to want to see is if Jaeger and if the coaching staff can sort of guide them away from them or, or take, you know, give them the instruction that they need to not fall into their patterns, like not have Frank play hero ball and drive down the lane and just get swatted. You know, I mean, we can't have that, you know, we need to limit Justin Jackson's uh, usage a little bit because it seems like he can be effective in uh, sort of runs and streaks. You know, you know, when he gets hot, you know, feed him and that's fine, but we can't have him be the thrust of our offense. And, um, you know, it's just, it seems like, you know, it does seem like Giles will need to be brought on a little slowly because he got winded near the end of games. And, and we see that Bagley needs to run in transition. So, like, it's more like we see the, the negatives or we see the limitations of these guys. And so my hope is that the coaching staff identifies them and identifies a way to um, at least, you know, help them along as best as they can because these guys all have potential. And I sometimes get scared that, if these guys were on the Spurs or, you know, on these great teams, like would they be something really special? And even like guys like Frank, who just don't seem like much, you know, they seem kind of average at best. I I just get afraid that like, it's our development, it's our coaching staff. So I'm just looking to see these guys grow and, and be coached up. That's a good point. And actually it presents Dave Yeager with a, a real tough problem coming into the season. And it's something that I'm not sure he's, equipped to deal with because his rotations have been questionable since he got here but you you're talking about the limitations and like on draft night the kings drafted marvin bagley second overall i think the assumption from a lot of kings fans myself included is like all right the kings got marvin bagley you know might not be the pick i wanted but you drafted him second we were kind of told he'll be nba ready he's going to come into the league and he's going to start 82 games and he's going to play 30 minutes a night and then you see him in Vegas and he struggles and you're like, well, man, is he like, can he start from day one? Like he should, a second overall pick should start from day one, but can he do it? Are the Kings just going to get obliterated with him out there if he struggles like he did in Vegas? And same with Harry, who Harry Giles looked great. And you want to say the Kings are a rebuilding team. They got this young prospect in Harry Giles who shows great effort on defense. He's got some strong skills on offense but we don't know if his conditioning is there yet. And this is his first year after taking two years off. Like, can he handle the workload that we want Dave Vager to play him? It makes the rotation difficult to determine, like you said, because of these limitations. And Dave Vager is, uh, is not the best coach to, to, um, to handle those limitations. It's going to be real interesting to see how he parses those minutes out. Yeah. I, I mean, Bagley has to start, right? Like I, I haven't even really considered this too much because I thought it was kind of like you pick a guy at two and, and he's in an obvious position of need. Like, do you think there's a chance he doesn't actually start him? On draft night, the conversation was if Jaeger doesn't start Bagley and play him 30 minutes, Jaeger's got to go. That was the conversation. Huh. And I, I agreed with it at the time. And then you see the guy play in Vegas and he shows that bad defensive awareness that we were worried about from college. 
And to me, he showed like a surprising lack of skill on offense, just didn't have much of a handle, which we knew he didn't. But even in the post, didn't have really didn't have go to moves. He was scoring more on broken plays and in transition, which we always knew was his strength. But I was expecting a little bit more of a skilled offensive player. So my initial reaction when they drafted him was like, of course, he's got to start and play 30 minutes a night. Now, if he's not great in preseason, I mean, I knowing what we know about Jaeger, if he's not great in preseason, I don't think he's going to start him. And I don't know. I don't know if that what that means is that I mean, is that a is that a disaster to you? Uh, yeah, that's that's an unspeakable disaster to me. I don't know. I maybe I'm getting too reactive about it, but I thought that uh, I thought that like when he played with Fox in the first night, he's you know he showed that that transition game, and it seemed like maybe I just wrote it off. Well, you know, Fox isn't playing anymore. You know, it's being ran by Mason. It, of course, the whole team's going to struggle. Uh, I was in my mind. I was like, okay, well, Fox will start, and Bagley will take advantage of that and they'll just deal with it and he'll kind of learn trial by fire. But um, yeah, I mean, I would really be distraught if Bagley didn't start. Now, if, if Bagley struggles in the preseason, however you want to determine what struggles means and Jaeger doesn't start him, are you going to be upset that Jaeger isn't starting his second overall pick? So I will be upset if they, but if instead they start Harry at the four or, I mean, let me put it this way. I will be more upset if Zach Randolph starts than I will be upset if Bagley doesn't start. If, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. yeah. if they find a way to work it so that, okay, you know, Bagley will get 25 minutes a night or 20 minutes a night, not necessarily start, that's, there's a way to handle it that I think is okay. But if Zach Randolph starts and plays 25 minutes, I will lose my mind. That would be a nightmare. That would be a disaster even from me who kind of gives Jaeger a pass on some of the things a lot of people don't. But I, I think that if Willie Cauley-Stein is still on the roster, it's going to be hard to tell him he's not starting. Unless he's just bad, but he was okay for the team last year, and this is sort of his last shot. So I can I can see why Jaeger would start him. And then that leaves one of Bagley or Giles at the four. And if it's not one of those guys then I'm on board with everyone else who kind of wants to see Jaeger get out of here. Because if you don't start yeah. one of them, I can live with that. If you're not starting Giles or Bagley in a clear, like this is a development, the youth, a developed the youth year. That's a, that's a nightmare. You got to start at least one of those guys. I had assumed that it was Giles that wouldn't start. And I thought like for sure, because they have a great excuse, which is, yeah. you know, his health. I mean, you can bring him along slowly and everyone will get it. You know what I mean? Bagley, not so much. Yeah, uh, it'll be it'll be interesting to see how Jaeger does that. I'm I'm kind of worried to see, see how he how he figures that one out, but uh, I guess we'll see. I asked for some Twitter questions before we started recording the podcast today, and looking back at them now, it does seem like we hit on most of these topics just in our discussion. But there was a question here that I thought is interesting and that we didn't quite hit that is applicable to sort of the big picture and what the Kings have done this summer and what they can potentially do next summer. So Nick Lovin on Twitter asks, with how competitive next year's FA class will be and how we compare, what are the realistic targets, what we have to do to move up on players' lists, and what players' agents need to see from the Kings to feel comfortable to come play here? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think that we're kicking around Tobias Harris earlier as a potential target for next offseason. Um, I think there's some other guys who, uh, if, you know, depending on how Demari Carroll does, I think, you know, if we're really desperate for someone who can play 20, 25 minutes or start if need be, Carroll's, I guess, an option. I don't know. Uh, but what, what I liked about the question the most was, you know, what can we do to build some more. Uh, interest from future free agents and i think it's just like sort of what we're just talking about play the young guys trial by fire them and and just you know play if you play all these young guys and they show something and at least kind of become like an nba league pass highlight and just interesting to watch i think that'll be it'll go a long way i agree with you on tobias harris he kind of to me fits that perfect thing where Maybe maxing him out is an overpay, but it's an overpay that makes sense for a team like the Kings, who already has to overpay to bring somebody in. So you got a guy in Tobias Harris who fills a position of need, 
Will another team max him? I don't know, but the Kings probably should just because they can't get players in like him. Um, so that one makes a whole lot of sense to me. And I, I know I've referenced this quote by Dave Yeager before, and I'll reference it here too because I think it adds into what you were saying. But I think it was Dave Yeager's first year with the Kings. Someone asked him something about tanking, and he said, like, there's a couple ways to rebuild in the NBA. One of them is to tank or whatever, but he prefers to play as hard as you can and show the rest of the league that you are a team that comes out and competes every night so that when those players become free agents and the Kings come calling, those players will be will, will remember the Kings as this tough team that pushed them every night and went at you. And when they are looking at the list of teams that they would want to play for, do they want to play for a team that is okay tanking and resting their better players? Or do they want to come play for a team that plays hard and, and brings it every single night? Now, I'm generally pro-tanking. That has clearly worked for teams in the past, so I don't necessarily agree with Jaeger all the way. But the Kings don't have their pick next year, so they have no excuse but to go for every single win. And if they can prove to some free agents that they are for real and they're trying to compete and that they aren't the same old Kings, uh, to answer that guy's question, that is what they can do to get players to feel comfortable to come play here. And to be honest, that may not even work. The Kings stink might, might be that bad that even if they show that they can compete, that might not be enough. But that's just the realistic situation the Kings have put themselves in right now. All right, that's going to do it for the Sacktown Royalty Show this week. Uh, Richard, thanks for jumping on the podcast with me. Why don't you tell everybody where they can find you on the internet? Yeah, um, I am at Ivanowski NBA on Twitter. It's I V A N O W S K I N B A on Twitter. That's a lot of letters. And uh, yeah, just check us out on on Sacktown Royalty, obviously. And thank you so much, Tony, for having me on. This was awesome. Yeah, this was fun. I'm sure we'll talk to you again here soon as the season approaches. But for today, that's going to do it for us on the podcast this week. Thanks again, Richard. All right. Thank you, man. I'm ready to take the next step. I'm ready for a university that will help me advance in my education and career. A university that will make me feel supported and connected. I'm ready for ODU Online. Click this ad or go to online.odu.edu today. I'm ready to take the next step. I'm ready for a university that will help me advance in my education and career. A university that will make me feel supported and connected. I'm ready for ODU Online. Click this ad or go to online.odu.edu today.